Welcome to Converge Coffee with Sean Sullivan. I'm here with Michael Kelly. He is one of the founders of Developer Town, a co-founder of Fullstack, a founder of Tenant Tracker, and a co-founder of Startup Competitors. He is a very active investor, advisor, and board member in a number of startups. Uh, Michael is the host of the Startup Competitors podcast, which looks at how to leverage knowledge of the market and competition to develop product and business strategy. He is also the co-host, along with his oldest son, of Kelly Farms podcast. Mike, thanks for being on the show. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Awesome to have you. So you are involved in so many different things, and I think it was the the tr not the trouble, but trying to figure out what do we want to what, what do we want to talk about. And I think from one podcaster to another, and one business owner to another, I think we can uh, start out. Why start with um, why start startup competitors? Yeah. So the startup competitor story is an interesting one, and it's tied into a lot of the other things that that we do and have done at at Developer Town. So. If, uh, if you work at all in the product development community here in Indianapolis in any capacity, whether you run a services business or not, there's tons of people who come up to you with their ideas for products, right? So this could be anything from like really good ideas, like I want to build, you know, the next lesson Lee or something like that to really, really bad ideas. Like what if we had a social media site where you could share photos and messages with your friends? And you're laughing, yes, but yes, like yes. that's that's a yeah. real conversation. Like so, uh, where you look at them like you know, like Facebook. No, not like Facebook. Like with with just your friends. You mean like Facebook? Yeah, it's, exactly. Yeah. I've heard the same thing about Amazon. Too. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it's you know, so like we hear tons of pitches. We probably at, at Developer Town, uh, we don't hear as many startup pitches today as we we did in the past, but. If you zoom out to 2010 through 2013, when we were super focused on working with early stage companies, we had, you know, between Michael and I, we probably had anywhere from 10 on a light week to 40 pitches between the two of us where people would come in with their startup idea. And that was great. And we, we loved it. We still love it. I love it when people give me their pitch. But there was this thing that happened again and again and again where you would be pitching me your idea. I would have my laptop open. I would be just Googling the words you're saying. And I would turn my laptop around and you mean like this startup or this one or this one and just work my way down the page and show them competitors in the space that are already doing what they're talking about. And they would look at me with this blank stare like, well, how did you find that? And it's, I just Googled what you said. I didn't, you know, there was no magic there, right? I just, I just did what you, what you were doing. It's just the basic research. It's just basic research. Nobody was doing it. So uh, at that time, there's another guy, the co-founder of Startup Competitors. His name is Steve Jones. Uh, Steve was working with us at Developer Town and uh, we slowly started to get him more involved in the sales process and he started to take some of these pitches. Uh, and so he would deal with the same frustration of like, dude, how is nobody doing this basic research, how come nobody knows these products are out there? And then there was a second thing that was happening, which was, you know, like be, be just because there's somebody out there doing it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Like you can build a better mousetrap. Maybe they built it and it's actually a really good product, but they stink at marketing and nobody's ever seen the product that they built and they go out of business because of that. Happens all the time. Maybe they are great marketers, but the product stinks. So every time somebody lands there, they can't convert them because once they do the free trial, you know, they're out and they, they never convert to paying customers. There's all sorts of reasons why you can still wedge into a market. 
but uh, for whatever reason, nobody had done that foundational research. So a couple of years ago, Steve and I got together and I was still experiencing this problem a little bit for myself and then uh, for some of our clients at Developer Town where I developed this process internally when I was doing research on behalf of a client where it was like, look, I'm going to, you know, we want to build this product and here's three known competitors for that product. I would come back with, you know, seven or eight more competitors and a lot more detail around the real status of the market. How much were people spending? How much traction did people get? How much money people raised? How much funding did they have? Was this the founder's first time launching a business like this? Or is this their third startup? All sorts of competitive analysis around the market to try to understand, is there a way to wedge in this market? What's the best way to do that? And how do you be competitive? And after doing that a couple of times, it just occurred to me like, well, this process that I've created, like this could be a thing that you could just productize and just do it for somebody. So Steve and I created uh, the Startup Competitors Reports, which uh, you can go to the website right now and swipe a credit card and buy a report. And within 48 hours, you tell us your startup idea. Within 48 hours, we'll return to you the 10 closest competitors. So this is only SaaS products. You can't do this for not SaaS products. But for SaaS products, we'll tell you the 10 closest competitors and 180 different rows of data on each one of those competitors to help you understand how to wedge into the market. And then for a little bit more money, we'll actually give you our thoughts and analysis on like, how do you crack that nut and wedge into that market? What's the best, what's the best play there? Or should you be afraid? Like, is it too established? It's probably not worth pursuing. So the idea came from there. We launched it a couple of years ago and it's, it's evolved uh, in some pretty awesome ways over time. It's not at all what we thought it would be when we first launched it, just like most startups, right? Like you have this vision for what you're doing and, and it goes in a completely different direction. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun. And then last year, or sorry, this year, January of this year, we launched the podcast, uh, Startup Competitors Podcast, with the idea that uh, a little bit for marketing, a little bit for me to scratch my own itch, talking to founders. I'm, I mean, this is just fun, right? I, which I know. Exactly. You oh, know. Yeah. 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 Oh, definitely. <laughs> uh, super educational for me to get in a room every week and talk with somebody who's, you know, in most cases, much, much smarter than me to understand, you know, how do they think about their business? What are they learning? Things like that. It's just, it's free tuition. So definitely. So from different from why you started it, what have you learned from talking to over 40 different startups? So it's interesting. The focus of the podcast is on competition, right? So the typical format is, you know, tell me about your company, right? What do you do? Give us the current status of the business. And then from there, so all that's kind of pro forma, right? Just set the stage. Who am I talking to? That typically takes five to 10 minutes. And then from there, we jump off into the next question I ask now. It's pretty much always this is when you think about competitors for your business, what do you think of? So the first thing that's interesting about that question is the, just the range of response, right? So, so some people are like, I don't think about competitors to my business, right? Like I, I don't care if there are competitors, if there's not competitors, I'm focused on, you know, doing what I want to do in the market and making our customers successful. And that's all I focus on. And I don't care what anybody else is doing to other people who are like, could, could easily rattle off 200 different competitors in the space and what they're doing and could tell you the nuances of each of them. And they have spreadsheets behind the scenes that they're tracking this stuff on. And most people are somewhere in between, as well as the range of competitors, everything from like our competitor is paper 
to our competitors, Microsoft Excel, to our competitor is Google, right? Like, you know, like is this full range and in, in breadth of like, what do you even think of as competitor, our competitor status quo? Like we're, you know, when we're go- going in there to sell, we're not selling against a different product. We're selling against people doing things the way that they've always done them. And so that's also been interesting. From there, the discussion typically goes into any number of things. And, and there's an interesting bias that happens with each founder that you talk to where if that founder is a product person, like that's where they grew up, they grew up in product, then they the conversation naturally starts to flow towards product management. How do you build your roadmap? And how do you play the puck where it's going to be in terms of what the market wants? And how do you do customer discovery? And how do you like it's all producty questions? If the founder comes from a sales and marketing background, it's almost always the conversation is this is how we differentiate ourselves in the sales cycle. And this is how we came up with our pricing model. And this is what we're testing right now in terms of, you know, different marketing techniques that work. And like, so, so you, you see this natural, like the conversation will flow to where that person's experience is before they started this company, uh, which all of those are fantastic because they're all different views of competition, right? Like when you're selling, normally you're selling against a market, when you're marketing, obviously, you're, you're trying to differentiate against a bunch of other players. When you're building your product roadmap, you're trying to anticipate not only what your customer need, but where's the market going and, and what's future technology? How, you know, how, is, how are different trends and new technologies going to change the market that you're in so you don't get left behind? Like, all of that stuff comes out just by talking about competition. And for me, like that, when you listen to 40 different founders go through, and hopefully many more to come, go through the way they think about their business, I'm pulling out one, like all these like really cool little nuggets of things that I can start doing in, in our company, right? Like whether it's a services company like Developer Town or a product company like Tenet Tracker, like most of these little tips and tricks that they share apply. And then two, just like wholesale philosophies like Costas Peppas from um, Agent Hero in Nashville, uh, Agent Legend. Agent Legend in Nashville, sorry, Costas, um, who, uh, you know, when, when I asked him, like, how do you think of competitors uh, or how do you track competitors? He came back and he's like, you know, Mike, I don't, I try to protect the energy that comes into my office and protect, pr- protect the energy of my team. I don't want my team thinking about competitors. I don't want my team thinking about what the other person is doing. I want them listening to customers. We don't need to be adding features to our product. What we need to be doing is removing features from our product that confuse our customer that aren't adding value, right? We need to make our product simpler, not more complicated. And if we look at what our customer's doing, we're going to get more complicated. We need to be listening to our user. And like that simple, well-articulated philosophy that he clearly believes and is passionate about and is also clearly working for him because they're kicking butt, it, like for me, that's like a beautiful reminder of like, you know what? While it's good to pay attention to the market, it's good to know what other people are doing. Like, you know, just that constant voice now in my head, which is Costa's voice of like, dude, like ignore all that. What does your user want? What problem, what pain do they feel? Like get back to that basic. Everything else is, it, you know, it's great. It's great data. And you, you obviously need to know that to, to know where you're going, but like it can be a distraction to what should I do next? Right. So I think, you know, those types of things are the types of things I'm taking away from those conversations. I like that about the, especially about the pain point. And I think a lot of people, especially in marketing, um, want to go after that pain point or solution to that pain. So kind of segueing to this, the last questions, and I don't want to drill you too much on everything, but what marketing lessons have you learned from 
um, market even marketing startup competitors or even the conversations you've had with these startups? Yeah. So on the startup competitors front, it's been super interesting because if you had asked Steve and I in 2015, uh, who, who's the customer that we're building startup competitors for, we would have told you it's the founder. Like we're building a product that, you know, somebody who's thinking about building and launching a new SaaS product who needs a little bit of validation, who's nervous, who might be getting ready to raise money from investors and wants to really understand the market that they're going into and, and, and convey that and impress investors with all the research that they've done. Like we wanted to build a product for that person, right? That, that founder who came and pitched us at developer town, right? That, that person, we wanted to arm them with what they needed to be more successful, we launched the product in full in uh, 2017 and uh, for a year tried to do AdWords and, you know, LinkedIn ads and like all sorts of different fits and Facebook stuff to, to try to drive traffic for that entrepreneur, right? We wanted to find that entrepreneur, entrepreneur and get them to buy. And dude, we must have sold like 10 reports in 2017, like nothing, like it was crickets. We totally spent more money on advertising than we ever made. And, you know, for Steve and I, it was, uh, it was a little bit, I mean, not a little bit frustrating. Uh, I mean, as we were thinking about like, you know, what are we doing wrong? Why isn't this working? Like, do we really understand what we're doing from a marketing perspective? And the answer to that was like, yeah, we do. The, the problem was it, it, a strategy problem, right? In hindsight, after a year of getting our butt handed to us in marketing, it obviously makes sense that the same person who's not doing that research before they come in and pitching pitch us at developer town, they're not magically going to be doing that research just because we launched a new service around it, right? They weren't Googling their idea before. What in the world made us think they were going to go to Google and search for, you know, help me find competitors for my startup, right? Like, so in, in hindsight, that same person, for whatever reason, it, who isn't doing the research themselves, isn't looking for help to do that research. The other thing that, I, I think was a miss was where that person is. So let's say that person did exist and they were interested in researching a product and like they, they are a potential buyer. Are they going to do that? Are we going to find them while they're searching their competitors on Google? Or is there a different place where those people congregate that we could get to them in mass? And that's where our, our focus for 2018 changed dramatically we thought two things. One was if when I reflected on in 2017 where I was getting most of my startup education uh, and how I was staying current on new technology and what people are doing and what's interesting, I was doing a lot of that through podcasts, right? So listening to the pitch and listening to how I built this and listening to there's a couple of other other great podcasts out there that, you know, just bring on founders and talk to them and, and, and at, at all different stages of the life cycle. Right. And if you looked at what it would cost to advert, cause I did, I wanted to know what it would cost to advertise on the pitch or on how I built this. Uh, I, I will not disclose their pricing, but it is, it's a little salty. It's, it's tough, right? You're talking five figures at least to get started. And, and they would tell you straight up like, yeah, I mean, you can get started for five figures, but you should really be thinking about spending six figures if you want it to be effective. And like, for a bootstrap startup, that's not a thing, right? You're not doing that. I mean, to develop town, we're not bootstrap, but we're not spending that on marketing, right? Like that, that that's a that's a lot of money. So that's great if you're forward, not great if you're startup competitors. 
So it, you know, one thing that occurred to us from a marketing perspective is if you want to reach founders who are listening, potential future founders who are listening to current founders telling their stories, what if you just started your own podcast where you get founders to tell their stories? And what if you could drive enough traffic to that, to, to that content, which is interesting and unique on its own, right? Like listening to Max Yoder talk about growing lessonly or listening to Greg uh, talk about growing 250K or, you know, like I could pick my greatest hits here, but like, the, you know, those guys are just fascinating to listen to and tell their stories. So like, I don't need to market. I'll let them do it, right? Like they're better, they're much better content than we'll ever come up with because their stories are so good. And so that was big idea number one was instead of marketing on paying, paying to market on some of these, these podcasts, what if we started our own? Then the second big insight we had was for this business, there might just be an enterprise client and maybe we were selling to the wrong buyer all along. Maybe the buyer isn't the founder, but the buyer is the investor who's thinking of writing 20 checks this year in startups and what if we could provide them tooling to help them make better decisions around which checks to write? Maybe the buyer is a services company that works with early stage companies and could use this data to differentiate their product in the market. Remember, one of the things I said is this all came from me at Developer Town trying to provide better service to our clients. That's why I developed the process because I wanted to do really good research to, to provide good, good service to them. So then when we went around and started talking to other services companies, and saying, hey, we built this product. I'm guessing you also have to do this research and you probably have somebody on staff that's doing this. We can do it for you in under 48 hours at, you know, probably we're guessing one-tenth to one-twentieth the cost of what it's currently costing you. And every single service provider we've talked to so far is like, holy cow, like, yeah, where do I buy? I'll do this for every one of my clients that, that we sign up. And so today, if you look at like now it's a, it's a nice little business and, and every single customer we have, for the most part, I would say 90% to 95% of our customers are those enterprise clients. So it's repeat business. It's somebody who's either an investor or a service provider who's working with these founders who's doing this on their behalf or as part of the package that they provide. And that's led to a whole different marketing strategy there, right? Because now when you're doing enterprise sales... It, your cost of customer acquisition can go much, much higher, right? Because if I if I get that customer once, I know that there's a much higher lifetime value to them versus if I can just get you, Sean, to, to buy a report, what are the odds you're going to buy another report down the road, right? Like maybe one more report a couple years from now versus if I can get developer town to sign up as a client, right? They're going to run a report every time they get a new client and that could be two, three, four a month. So anyway, that, so all of that has led to like a, just a, a fundamentally different marketing strategy than, than we thought we were doing coming out of the gate. And that story, the startup competitor story, just in the two years that we've, we've really been running this business, you see that repeated out in almost every single customer, every single founder conversation we've had on the podcast where, you know, the business we set out to build, we're still trying to fulfill that original mission, but the way that we're fulfilling that mission is different than what we expected, right? The product is different. Maybe the customer is a little bit different. You know, we've pivoted along the way, but we're still trying to stay true to the, you know, the whole reason why we went down this path. That's awesome. I love it. I love, I mean, the, the pivoting and strategy is that you don't, you just don't know everything. You just go into it and you, you try to figure it out and you figure it out. Um, and you might have another pivot. You might have another pivot. Um, I want to know more about an offline background that's not on startup competitors. 
Um, it could be out in the stratosphere on the podcast or whatever. But what is what is the success story that you can you can talk about? Either you can say the you know client's name or what industry they're in or what SaaS product they're in. But something that um, startup competitors you know really help them kind of change their view um, with this with these reports. I I'm going to talk about a theme of products because within two you're not going to believe this within two weeks we had the same request to startup competitors come in three times. So three, three different people, all independent of each other, submitted the same startup idea uh, all within a two-week period. And the, uh, the startup idea was Uber for maids, right? Which is uh, I want to be able to pull out my mobile phone and request a maid like Mary Maids or something like that to come to my apartment and clean my apartment uh, you know, within some period of time because I have friends coming over or you know, unplanned whatever. All right, so that's the startup idea three requests within two weeks. And then two of those requests were in the same city. They, two of them came from Nashville. So we get these requests. They're all slightly different variations of Uber for maids, but, but it's Uber for maids. And so Steve and I get to work, we put the machine in motion and and we kick off the process to go pull all this information and, and put together this analysis. And I don't know if you know this, the Uber for maids idea, it's been done. Like there are, at least 20 dead bodies like that we can point to. There's a couple, there's like three of them in Chicago that came out in like 2010 to 2014 that are all out of business. None of them survived. There's, you know, the, like there's some being done on the national scale. There's a really interesting one. I can't remember their wedge, but it, it was super unique um, in Australia. Uh, that was actually kind of interesting, the, the things that they were doing there that were kind of unique. But like, anyway, there's like, it was super easy to come up with the tag competitors, right? That there were tons of them. And for us, anytime we see a competitor that launched and ran for a while and went out of business, we consider that gold, right? Because there's lessons there. Like maybe the lesson is they didn't market. Maybe the lesson is it was just an awful idea. Maybe, the, you know, like whatever it is, but there's something there that you can typically get to that'll tell you why, why you shouldn't do this. Um, there's a beautiful blog post from one of the companies that went out of business in Chicago that talked about the customer cost of customer acquisition for this business model and why it's so, you know, just so hard to make it scale. And if you get enough of the market quick enough, it can work. But like the, just that, that slog to break through enough for enough critical mass, it, it's too hard. So we pull all this data, we pull it together. And of course, the very first report that we get, we're, you know, we, 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 they bought the full package, right? Which means we put our analysis in there where we type up a, a slide worth of notes at the end, uh, where we say, look, we see this, this could be an opportunity, look out for this threat. It's, it's just kind of like some quick analysis. We're not, I mean, I probably am an expert, but like we, we put all the disclaimers on there. I'm like, look, you know, your business better than we do. We're just looking at data here, right? Like we, you know, we don't know what you know, but so take this worth a great grain of salt. But when we look at the data, here are the things that we see that are interesting on this first Uber for maids report that we did. We're basically like, for the love of God, don't do this. Like this isn't like it, the idea is clearly not awful because there's a bunch of people doing it, but that there's nothing you've said that makes this a clear, compelling win because you're doing what a lot of these other companies want. You want you, you know, you what you've said is you want to do what a lot of these other companies want to do. It's probably not a good idea. And then for one of the other ones in Nashville, when we looked at it, we basically said the same thing. It was almost the same idea. There's some minor usability things that they thought might be unique, but when we looked at that one, we're like, yeah, don't do this. This makes no sense. And then for the third one. When Steve and I dug into the data, we ended up coming back and we're like, this is a fantastic idea. 
and you should absolutely do this. It, like nobody has tried this in the way that you're doing it. And one, one of the things that we do when we look at um, the kind of key features that companies talk about, we do a competitor analysis where we line up all the competitors across a set of key features and we talk about who has that, who doesn't have that. So one example that one of the ones that we ended up saying don't do this uh, was green cleaning products, right? So we're going to differentiate by offering 100% organic green cleaning products, non-toxic, stuff like that. Turns out three people have tried that in the past and they're all out of business, right? Like because consumers, while they while we care, we don't care that much, right? And you can't, at, at the current economics of that business, you, you just can't make it work in a way that, to, to, again, the cost of customer acquisition is too high. Even if the customer you acquire is willing to pay an incremental amount more for green service, it still doesn't offset the tremendous avalanche of cost on cost of customer acquisition. But for the one that we looked at and said, yeah, this, this is an amazing idea. You should go do this, run after this idea. When you looked at the way that they were thinking about going to market, what they basically said, everybody else is like, how do I get Sean to download my app and order a, a maid? And what this custom, what this idea was, uh, which they have pursued it, um, is, is why well, I don't want to get Sean. What I want to do is I want to go get the owner of a 200-unit apartment building to buy this app on behalf of all of their tenants. They're going to pay the monthly subscription, and then they're just going to bake that 20 bucks a month or 30 bucks a month directly into your rent. So it's just going to be a feature of this apartment building. So I'm going to, in one sales call, which, you know, probably is five or six meetings, right? But in one sales call, I'm going to get 300 units at a time, which is magical on multiple levels. One, you're almost guaranteed usage by those people because they're already paying for it. Two, when you think of the maids physically going into clean places, it's not like they're getting, they're getting to a house, going in, cleaning, taking all the stuff back out to their car, getting in the car, driving across town, going into another house. Now that maid literally shows up and just starts working that entire day in that one building, going from apartment to apartment to apartment to apartment. There's no lost time driving from point A to point B. Uh, they, you know, they start to really, they can potentially really get to know their customers and meet them more often because they're physically in the building, right? Like, so there's just so much about that, that model that made a lot more economic sense than the direct to consumer model. Um, that, and you know, like who knows if they're going to be successful, who knows if they're going to make it, but just at face value, when you look at like all the dead bodies in that space and where they failed, it was just obvious that like, yeah, this deserves a shot, right? Like this has never been tried. The economics look fundamentally different in this business. You should probably run after this. And it's one of my favorite stories because it's the exact same data in all three cases and the data told a different story just based on that small pivot, right? And what you were thinking about doing and how you're thinking to go to market. And that to me is like super powerful because there's a lot of ideas that fail and it doesn't mean it was a bad idea. It just meant they hadn't quite solved some aspect of the, the business, whether it was cost of customer acquisition, product market fit, the way that they message it, user experience, whatever that is. Like it, it gives you hope that like, you know, a lot of great ideas that die, maybe they didn't die because it was a bad idea. It might have just been something in execution or the fundamentals of the business model and all that stuff is fixable, right? If you if you get the right person and, and the right timing. Definitely. And I, I see a common trend here too, where you were talking about startup competitors of the marketing strategy itself. Um, even before when you get to messaging design, 
the tech and the customer experience that you're looking at the fundamentals and looking at the fundamentals, you know, between those, you know, Uber, Uber for maids that the fundamentals are, I mean, they win basketball games. If you want to go, if you want to go the Hoosier route and that kind of stuff or the basketball route. So enough growing for Anya. Um, so, you know, Mike, I I think the the converged coffee drinkers, while you're drinking some coffee there, want to know a little bit more about you. So I know I, read the laundry list of things that you have co-founded, you have founded. Um, but I, I think people want to know more um, about, you know, what do you do hobby wise creatively that brings that it brings that passion, that hunger back into what you're, you're currently doing. Yeah. So I'm, I'm an insane workaholic, uh, self-admitted uh, and mostly happy with it. I, I, you know, I love, love what I do. All of those businesses are still active and, and I'm still involved in them in some way, shape or form. Uh, and I love that. Uh, also have a very large number of partners who make that possible, right? Like, you know, Don runs full stack, Keith runs tenant tracker, M- Michael is running start, Julie, Julie, Jason and Randy are running developer town. Like it's uh, you know, like it, it, the part of what makes that work is that, you know, at the end of the day, there, there's somebody in that each of those businesses that is doing a lot of the lion's share lifting. And it's in many cases, not me. Steve is really the one doing the day-to-day execution on startup competitors and making sure customers are happy and we're delivering a great product. So for me, that that's like, that's trick number one. Uh, if, if you want to be involved in a lot of things, just have a, have an awesome set of partners who, who make that happen. Uh, fun stuff. I have a farm, uh, I, and I, I have a, I, I have two young, two young boys, uh, three and eight, uh, and my wife, and we live on a farm, and we do pigs and chickens and turkeys and sheep and bees, and we cut our own firewood, and we do all sorts of crazy stuff out there. Uh, and for me, the farm is one still scratches my itch of being a workaholic because it's more work. At least that work is like physical and outdoors, and you know, renews the soul. Uh, from that perspective, uh, but two, it's also me being a good dad, which, uh, if you ever want to spend good quality time with your kids, get a farm. Cause there's always something to fix. There's always an animal to take care of who's sick. There's just amazing life skills that you get to work with your kids in a very hands-on way to, to, to show them what creative problem solving looks like, to show them what caring for other animals and people looks like. It's, it's super cool. So, so that's one of the things that I do that is super rejuvenating to me. Uh, Patrick and I talk about that a little bit on the Kelly Farms podcast. Um, outside of that, I do martial arts. I try to do it just about every day when I can. If I'm not traveling, uh, I do it less now than than I used to because I'm traveling a lot more right now. But dude, you want to feel better? Just go punch somebody. It's it's gonna make you feel better. Uh, so uh, do that quite a bit. Love it. Uh, the the group that I work out with every morning on the mat. Uh, is, uh, they're, you know, we're super close. We've been doing it for years now. Um, and you know, like there's definitely a brotherhood that emerges with those guys. Right. And you know, you can always tell what's bugging somebody or when somebody's distracted when they get on the mat and you're rolling around with them. So I think, um, I think martial arts is a big, big part of who I am and how I view the world. And it's a big outlet for me in terms of stress. And it's one of the ways that, you know, I don't run, I don't ride a bike. That stuff is like insane to me not an endurance athlete, but, uh, I do very much appreciate that physical time and, and a, a chance to get out stress. And then I occasionally try to do some creative stuff when I have time, like, uh, but it's all weird. Like I do chainsaw carving, uh, 
which I, I'm working on a, an art pro, a chainsaw carving project right now, uh, in a small installation at our house, which is kind of crazy. Um, I like chainsaw carving some gifts for Christmas for people occasionally. Um, it's kind of fun. It's a hobby I picked up a couple of years ago. Uh, I like to write. I love reading. Um, I, we play games all the time, which is also a lot of fun when you have kids. But a lot of what I try to do if I'm not in front of a computer doing SaaS company work is I try to be physically active. So farming, martial arts, chainsaw carving, all of those things are going to make me physically move my body, uh, which is for the most part what I need to, to, to rejuvenate myself. So you answered my second question, yeah, which is health-wise. But I think a, a bigger question about health-wise is you, you're do, you do a lot of stuff. You're a workaholic. How do you um, prep yourself like each day to, to, to mentally go into the day saying, I've got this laundry list of items to do. How do I get this done? That's a great question. So uh, I'm a... So there's two podcasts that I listen to a lot, which influenced my answer to this. One is Tim Ferriss, and the other is Jocko Willink, uh, the Jocko podcast. So uh, to channel each of those horribly and with too few words, uh, you know, the, the Tim Ferriss answer is create a routine, stick to that routine, simplify, you know, by simplifying your morning ritual as you and, and throughout the day, like if you just have a process that helps you helps ensure that you're focused on the most important things and you're doing the right things, then you're much, much more likely to do them. And so I, there are some small ways that I try to do that. I try to wake up the same time every day, even if I travel, like I was out in Vegas for a week, um, uh, a few weeks ago, I, I get up every morning at four 30 in the morning. Uh, when I was out in Vegas, that meant I got to wake up at like two 30 in the morning or something like that. And I did it because to, to me, just keeping that routine is easy. Now, I didn't go to the gym and or to the dojo and, and, and work out that those mornings when I was in Vegas. Instead, I ended up doing email or something, but I, I still keep the discipline of keeping that schedule. I, I try to get up early on weekends. I try to make sure that whatever routine I have in place right now, I'm following that routine both in the morning and at night. And then, the, you know, the Jocko Willink answer to that would, would be, you know, discipline, right? Like it, it, it's, it's not about what you want. It's not about keeping yourself motivated and like motivation has no place in it. It's discipline that keeps you moving. And I would say that's pretty true with me. There's lots of days I do not want to get out of bed. There's lots of time. I mean, I suffer from depression, like in a very serious way. Um, I'm, you know, there's sometimes where the, I'm debilitated by it. Most of the time I'm fine, but even when I'm depressed, like it's discipline that, makes me go through the motions and put one foot in front of the other and make sure that I'm still doing the things that I need to be doing. And so for me, it's a little bit of the life hack that you might get out of the Tim Ferriss school of thinking of, you know, create a process, stick to it. And then the other part of it is I just have a mantra that is like, it does, like you made the commitment to do this. It doesn't matter if you want to do it, you're going to do it. And that works for me. I know that doesn't work for everybody. Um, but just kind of forcing myself to, to, to follow through on the commitments I've made can help a lot. Well, Mike, I appreciate you sharing more about yourself and, um, and talking about, you know, the fundamentals of, um, what you've seen in startup competitors with your own company and, and the startups themselves, but also revealing to yourself that or about yourself that everybody's human. Everybody goes through something. We, you know, all have, um, 
not problems, but hurdles that we need to go, you know, go through or bumps in the road during the day and that kind of stuff. So I, I really appreciate you sharing, um, sharing more about yourself, uh, which I've learned a lot more about you in just this five minutes of you revealing more about yourself and your family and everything else that, um, um, I appreciate you more as a person. I think the, uh, the coffee drinkers out there, um, will appreciate that more of like, okay, I, I'm a startup person. Why am I always like, it feels like this is a grind all the freaking time. What do I do? Um, and maybe it's just because you just have to go through it. So I appreciate that. Thanks. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm always happy to talk about it. I, it's actually, I don't think a conversation that happens enough, which is the like mental health side of starting a company is probably a little bit heavy, but like the emotional side of starting a company, right? Like, cause it, it, it's not, it's not just uh, a mental game, right? There's, there's ups and downs and there's the relationships that are involved and there's everything around it. And like that emotional side of doing something that's hard that, you know, very, very few people have done is I think often overlooked in the conversations. And it's a, you know, what we do is we're humans interacting with other humans. And I think keeping that in mind, um, that in every interaction, whether you're a service provider, an investor, a partner, you know, a customer, like on the other side of that transaction is another human that has their own challenges, their own struggles. You have no idea what's happening with them. You have no idea what they're going through. And, and then just trying to keep that in mind when you're interacting to, to, to just make sure your actions are the like you're being the best version of who you can be when you're interacting with that person and showing them the same care and respect that, that you would hope to get if you were struggling with something. Definitely. Well, Mike, I appreciate you talking about uh, startup, you know, competitors, developer town, mentioning full stack, tenant tracker. Um, and, yeah, and get them all in there. <laughs> throw them all in there. Throw all those links in there. Um, to all the converged um, coffee drinkers out there, um, check out all of um, the businesses Mike is involved in, as well as his uh, podcast with Startup Competitors Podcast and Kelly Farms Podcast. And that's a wrap. 